Okay, so it's not a really pro trip, a tip. Like, so if you guys going to preach, don't be like me. Go and don't sit in the back of the church that, you, that everybody needs to see how you walk down. Just sit here in front. <laughs> okay, so this is like really in my face, right? Sorry. Okay. Let me move. Can I move this? Okay. I greet you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the only Lord and Savior. Greetings from Clagstorff Baptist Church. You know, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing when we start to think about what the Lord is doing. And we can step back and we can just be amazed and say, wow, look how great our God is. You know, so so before I go on preaching a total different message, right? Let, let me stick with my notes here. Okay, so let, let's pray. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we glorify you alone. You are so good to us, Lord. You are so wonderful. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will use this broken vessel tonight, Lord, to bring forth the riches of your grace. Father, I pray, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, that you will open up your word, Lord, and make it alive for us. Transform us, Lord. Make us different, Father. Heal our brokenheartedness. Heal our, our, where we have sinned and gone astray. Bring us back to you, Lord, because you alone can do it. And you have done it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so back at the church, um, I'm working through the book of Galatians. And, you know, so now you are jumping in like... You know, if I, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I binge watch. You know? And so then you start to look at those recaps. Like, you have to look at the recap to get the bigger picture. So maybe it's just me. You guys don't do this. You, know, it's, you guys are nice. You know, you're nice people. You're not like me, right? So, so with Galatians, it's such a book of liberty. It's, it's called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And, and the emphasis that Paul puts on is the emphasis of God's grace. And it's not the works of the law. And now I'm, I'm busy with Galatians 2, 19 to 21. Now, this is what we're going to speak about tonight. But before we jump in there, so let me recap um, <clears throat> Galatians 2. So, so here's the scene. So... Uh, Peter came to Antioch, and while Peter was there, he still had food with the Gentile Christians. And then men from James came. And now James, the brother of Jesus, was one of the leaders in Jerusalem. But when the men of James came, Peter decided to walk away, and he didn't eat, he didn't have fellowship with the Gentile Christians. Now, Paul was not really happy with that idea. Like so, and then Paul withstood him to his face, and, 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 and Paul rebuked Peter. And he said, basically said to Paul, uh, to Peter, he said, Peter, you being a Jew could not keep the laws of Moses in order to be justified and righteous before God. 
Now, why do you put these laws upon them? Do you want to make them Jews so that they can get saved? And, and we all know that story, right? So that's just a quick recap, right? Now, now here's the thing. Now, I have a question, so, so we can start this with a question. Have you ever worked so hard in your life? Now, and after you've done everything that you could have do, and that was not enough. Right? You know, you do everything. You know, you do, you do the makeup, you do the hair, you do the shoes, you do the dress, and then you come to the party and then you're not pretty enough. Right? You, you brush the hair, you brush the teeth, you clean your glasses, and then, then not good enough. And now, now, I don't know if you knew it, but the Pharisaic laws, there was like 613 laws that you had to keep in order to be justified. 613. Right? And, and, and like, again, you guys are amazing. You guys are great. Like me, I can't even keep one law. If somebody tells me, don't do that, you know what happens? I do it. You know, it's, you know God, God struggles with me with that. You know, I, I just struggle to follow rules and regulations and laws. Now, and, and then I'm thinking, in, in, in my experience, I know that there's nothing that I can do before God to be justified. Nothing. Because Jesus Christ has done it all. So last week I preached, uh, and really, I think it was a good message. You know, you guys can go listen to it. But it is justification by faith alone. We are only justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. You know, and if we look at the word justified, and we think the Greek word for justified is justified. No, that means you're made right, justified. Sorry for the Greek scholars here. So, poof, just blowing our minds. You need to know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Greek scholar too. <laughs> so, so, but justify has two, has two pictures to it, right? Now, the first one is that you are declared not guilty. You are not guilty before God. You are not guilty. All of your guilt, shame, and fear is taken away from you. Now, and that's not where God is like leaving us. He's not leaving us guilt-free, fear-free, and then shame-free. But now what He has done because of faith in Jesus Christ, He has imputed, He has given us Jesus' righteousness. And that's the only way that we can stand before our loving Father in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, let's get to the, let's get to the message. I know, that was just a warm-up, right? <laughs> okay, so, the new life in Christ. No? Very cool. I, I wanted to change the, the topic a little bit, but, you know, let's not do it. Let's read the scripture, okay? Galatians two nineteen to 21. It says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live unto Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, or if you are a King James person, I do not frustrate the grace of God. 
If you're Greek, nullify is the same word, you know. The grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, what is the effect of the law in our lives today? Now, that, that's a really good question, right? So, because we, we, we are orderly people. We want to follow the law. We want to know what is my framework that I can live in so that I can be accepted. What is that framework? Right, that's a good question. So what rules, if I join a church, what is the color, uh, you know, like, I don't like to wear a tie. You know, I have, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't like to wear a tie. I struggle to wear a tie at my wedding, and then they say, you have to wear a tie. And I, I had a problem with that. So I, I only wore it, like, for the first half an hour of the wedding. You know, when we stood there, I was like, like this. But, but we want to know what will make us ex- what will make us acceptable with our peers, right? Now, when we think about the law of Moses, right? The law of Moses is perfect. The law of God is perfect. And that's the problem. The law will always show you and me that we are fallen short of the glory of God. The law will always tell you that you don't measure up. You're not good enough. You're not bright enough. You're not smart enough. The law, the moment that we have a consciousness about the law, the law condemns us. Now, that's good news, right? Now, what did Paul say? He said, now he made a statement. He said, I, through the law, died to the law. The law of Moses always required a sacrifice. Always. And what was the sacrifice? Jesus is the sacrifice. So Paul didn't say that the law of God is dead. What he said, he said that the law, I am dead to the law. The law has no authority, no dominion over me anymore. I am free from this law of Moses because I have chosen a new head. A new administration. And what is that administration? The administration of God's grace. Now it's similar if, you know, like when you are legally married and your wife or husband dies, you can legally marry somebody else. Right? It's not going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem if you're still married and you want to, like, all of a sudden take on another wife and then, you know, that's a problem. We shouldn't do that. But this is what Paul has said in Romans 7, 4. He said, Therefore, my brethren, you also were to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. So this is not a new theme. Paul has been speaking about dying with Christ and dying to the law in all of his epistles. The law was only satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus, remember what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to destroy the law of Moses. What did he come to do? He came to fulfill it. So on the death 
on the cross of um, Jesus Christ, when he died, he fulfilled the perfect law of God by being the perfect sacrificial lamb that died for our sins so that we can die to the law so that we can live unto him. That's a mouthful. For through the law, I died to the law. And we can see that's a two, two, two-fold statement, right? The first one, the law condemned me. It condemned me. Right? No, you don't measure up. I don't measure up. There's no works of righteousness that will put us in extra books before God, right? We know that the Isaiah said that our base works before the Lord, our base works of righteousness before the Lord are like filthy rags. Right? And it's, yeah, I'm not going to explain that picture because it's a little bit graphic, you know? Like, don't want to do that right now. And on the other hand, is that because I died to the law by being redeemed from the curse of the law through the death of Jesus Christ. I died to the law. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting when we start speaking about the grace of God, right? That people start to think, okay, now I can start doing whatever I want to. I have died to the law. There's no law unto myself except the law of God. And, and Jesus fulfilled that, right? You know, and, and you know, then we start living like a hedonist and there's no consequences for sin because Jesus paid it all, right? Maybe you're not like thinking like that, but I used to. <laughs> no, and uh, I understood God's grace. See, if we understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we understand that God has given us grace to deny ungodliness, right? We, and, and then grace is not a license to sin, but it's a license to grow. We, we grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the only thing that will help you and I to grow in Christ. When we start to realize it's no longer me, right? It's no longer about me. It's, not low, it's no longer about my image and what people think about me, but it's what God has done for me. And I submit to that. And the last part in that one is so that I might lift to God. So that expresses the intent of purpose. Now, when I was a young, strapping fellow before I got married, you know, <laughs> being married made me old. <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> now, so, like the one thing that we always, like the moment that we meet Jesus, we are always thinking, okay, so what is my purpose? Why, Lord, like what did you call me for? What is my purpose? What is the workmanship that you've called me into that I must walk? And like, what do I need to do? Like, yeah, there's all good questions, but here's our answer. Our purpose is to live for Jesus. Our purpose is to glorify Him in whatever I say, do, or be, right? If that's in my workplace, if that is in my campus, if I'm a student, if I'm a pastor, if I'm a wife, like, no, I'm not a wife, but if, if you are married, if, and your marriage is to, is to glorify Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's our purpose. That's the intent why I died to this law that keeps me in bondage. 
And this grace of God just came and set me free so that I can grow in Him. That I can live my full purpose and that purpose is for Him. So that I might live to God. And how did this happen? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And now, the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if we look at the personal pronouns here, I, me, right? It's in, if you read the ESV, it's like mentioned 11 times. 11 times. Now, then we need to remember who's speaking here. It's Paul speaking here. The Pharisee of Pharisees. The man that was blameless in all of the law. And even him couldn't measure up. He couldn't make the cut. Everybody else couldn't do it either. So here Paul is saying, this is the solution. I have been crucified with Christ. The amazing part of this is, and I'm going to be a little bit nerdy here. You know, I don't like to be a nerdy guy, you know. But in the Greek tense, it's a perfect tense in the Greek. It's the perfect tense, right? I know there's some smart guys here, so I feel that, yeah, I feel that pressure. Boss my coke. But what, it, what does it mean, the Greek in the perfect tense, right? It means I have been and I remained crucified. You know, what I'm saying, I, I'm not saying and I'm making this disclaimer, don't go and kill yourself now and say, I've been crucified with Christ. Don't do it. It's, it's a, you identify with Christ's death and you identify with his resurrection. It's the same picture that we get and the same idea that we find in Romans 6 when we start speaking about the baptism, right? Like, it is amazing to get baptized. It's awesome. Right? And what happens in Romans 6 is that you identify, as you go into this water, you identify with the death and also the burial and also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You identify with those things. Now, and it says like um, that we have to reckon ourselves to be crucified. We reckon ourselves dead so that the law doesn't have a hold on us on anymore. Because I have been perfect things crucified and remain crucified with him. And, 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 and here's a, a something that knocks me. It's like we, we, we grow and we desire to be perfect. And to be unbroken and to be healed and to, to have everything together. And not to be triggered by things happening around us. And we desire to grow like, like just to be normal. And we, we look at the skies and we look in books and we're trying to help ourselves. But here's the answer. I am crucified with Christ. It's like when I become that clay in God's hands and he molds me into his image, the image of his son, because of my death. We surrender 
our lives to Him. We surrender our bodies to Him. We, we come to Him and say, Lord, here I am. Just like, take me. Like that Matthew 11. Oh, yeah, Matthew 11, 28. And like, oh, how does it go now? Like, come now, mate, all what moogen oor liars. And I'm so furious No? It's like we come to Him. We are tired. We are broken. And we just keep on coming to Him. And he's not making us perfect in our flesh. He's making us perfect in the death of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus has died, so we raised with him to life. And living under a new administration, and that administration of grace. He, he truly makes us into this image of Christ. So we are, that we are truly Christ-like. Not just in church and not just in the streets where people can see us, but really Christ-like. Imagine that. Christ-likeness. Because God is like taking through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and He's molding us into that picture of who Jesus is. And remember in Ephesians 1 6 is that praise to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, of our Father, who has accepted us in the Beloved. And Jesus is that Beloved. Like God is like molding us into that Beloved Son. Now, if I say son, I, I, it's daughters as well, but, you know, you guys know what I mean. You know, you're not like that, okay? The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And, and, and that is a, a, a crucified life. It's a faithful life. You know, and, and, and it's not, faith is not like this Airy fairy little thing is like the way I passed my exams in my grad school. You know, it's like I like a, I just hope I will pass. It's not like that. I did pass, by the way, but it was like through a lot of prayer and making deals with God. Didn't work, but yeah. But it is a fact. And what are the facts that we are looking at? We're looking at the fact that Jesus Christ did die. Jesus Christ did raised from the dead. Jesus Christ did ascend it up into heaven. And we are placing our faith in that, in the gospel. You know, we live by faith and, and, and we are trusting in the sufficiency of Christ Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ. He has done it all. I don't need to add to this work of righteousness that He has done. I don't need to add to that. I just surrender to it and accept it. I have faith in the, the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, I don't have a like, Bible right now, but I will like, put the, the Bible is my sufficiency for godliness and, and for life. The Bible is enough. We, we live in the sphere of faith that, that we are called into. We breathe faith like oxygen. 
we don't remove ourselves from faith. And, and if, if I struggle with faith, you know, there's also a cure for that. You know, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of the Lord. Like, and that's how our faith is growing. Our faith is not growing by jumping and rolling around and trying to speak in tongues and trying to do those, those circus stuff, right? Our faith only comes from hearing the word of the Lord. Our faith doesn't come from, like, laying hands on the sick and people get healed. That's minor stuff. Like, man, that, that's Sondagskolgikis. Like, real, real faith comes when a person surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and they are born again. They believe the gospel. They believe that the word of God is actually God's word. And they, they, they live their lives in, in that sphere of, like, theology and, and uh, application. Yeah, and this is, like, an awesome one. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me. Oh, my gosh. You know, again, you know, I'm a Greek scholar, just like you guys. The word for love here is agapo. <laughs> I, sorry for the Greek scholars here. I, I totally ruined that for you. But agapo is like God's expressed the purest, noblest form of love, which is it's a, it's a will decision. It's a volition decision that God has made to love us. Like he used his intellect, he used his will, he used his emotion and, to, and his decision power to decide, I'm going to love you and you. And the greatest thing about this is it's not about the object that this being loved is, but, but it is based upon the person that is loving. The character of the one who loves. That totally blew my mind. You know, here it says, Agapo speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object which is caused once to prize it. You know, God looked at you and me. And he, and he looked at us and he said, I want to love you. And he looked at his son and said, I, like, I love him. You are my beloved. But yet we, we kick it to the side and we don't remember that. We don't meditate on the fact that that God first loved us. Romans 5, 8 says, like God demonstrated his love towards you and me. For while we were sinners, Christ died. Before any works of righteousness, he already made the decision to love you and to love me. In verse 21, the grace of God nullified by law keeping. That's my title for this. Is that I do not nullify. And I like the KJV here because like it says... I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And I have another question. What is frustrating God's grace in our lives? What is frustrating God's grace in your life? And according to this text, you know, I can tell you, it's like when you and I 
starts to rely on the law of Moses to, to be justified before the Lord and to be righteous before the Lord. You know, if we, if we think about nullify or frustrate, you know, the idea is to reject the grace of God, is to resist the grace of God, not to rely on the grace of God, to set aside the grace of God, to, to regard as invalid, to refuse to recognize the grace of God. Now, and how foolish we will be if we start kicking aside the grace of God to be perfected in our own strengths. So Rian said I can preach for two hours. So I'm only like 10% through the message. <laughs> Just kidding. Nullifying the grace of God because I want to be perfected before the Lord in my own works of righteousness. And I want you guys to, and I'm, I'm closing off, and I'm pretty sure, because you guys have heard this, I, I know you have heard this, and what I want you to walk away here from is two things. Number one is that we are justified by God through faith alone. That's number one. And number two is that the law says do, and grace says done. So when you have these condemnations that we get, right, you know, like, oh, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, then you need to stop and say, what does the grace of God say, say right now? What does the grace of God say now? What did Jesus do right now? And you bring yourself back to this basic, to the, as the, to the gospel. I almost thought as my daughter jumped in, she's like, oh, come on, brother. <laughs> and it's difficult. It's really difficult. It's not easy. We're going to be tested on this the whole time. Like being, reminding ourselves of the gospel. And closing now. The law says do. And grace says done. Okay. Amen. Okay, Father, we um, come to you, Lord. And uh, we, are, we are so amazed, Lord that you will look at us with love, that you will draw us to yourself with cords of love, that you will call us your children because you love us. And Father, I pray, Father, that we will grow in this grace that you have called us into. I pray that we will abide in you and and through that, we will bear fruit. I pray, Father, that you will search our hearts and change what needs to be changed because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.